First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.4, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Welcome back to Bible Time. We're going to carry forward with this study of First Thessalonians today. Let's pray that God will give us understanding and open the scriptures to our hearts and minds. It's not any glory to the preacher or the teacher whenever you understand something in the Word of God. All glory goes to God in heaven for everything that you ever get. Do you hear me today? Look up here. If you understand spiritual truth today, there is no man or woman on the face of the earth that can take credit for that. Only God Almighty. God is the one that teaches. Now, God has ordained the foolishness of, teach, of preaching to save them that believe. God uses human instruments, human vessels but the human vessel is nothing more than the pipe through which the holy oil flows. And if you get some holy oil from the word of God today and the Holy Spirit of God teaches your heart and illuminates truth to your spirit, then you can say, thank you, God, for feeding me. Thank you, Father, for giving me the truth. Because there's no man, not this man or any other man, that can impart to you spiritual truth. Spiritual truth only comes through the divine operation of the Holy Spirit of God as Jesus speaking to the disciples, opened their understanding, the Bible says, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Even so must he open our understanding today. So let's go to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ and ask him for that great and wonderful blessing of illumination of the word of God, not of a new revelation, but of illumination of the revelation we already have of the more sure word of prophecy so that we can understand the things that God is speaking to us that our natural man can in no way comprehend even though the natural man can stare at them till he's blue in the face. The natural man can do the word studies, the Hebrew Greek studies. The natural man can make lists. The natural man can write essays. The natural man can do doctoral theses. The natural man can study systematic theology and write catechisms. But the natural man cannot receive the things of God. They are foolishness to him. The things of God are spiritual things that must be spiritually discerned, even though they're literal things that are exactly right literally in the Bible. Boy, is that a mystery. And right there is where God exposes the foolishness of the wisdom of men who can stare at the plain, honest truth right in front of their faces and absolutely miss the understanding of what it means because of their carnality. It takes the Spirit of God to take those literal spiritual truths and make them real and make them applicable and make them useful in your life. Let's pray and ask God for that today. Father, in Jesus' name, please open our understanding, illuminate our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand wonderful things out of your word. Help us to understand, help us to apply it, help us to obey it, help us to believe it, help us to trust your word, and help us to speak exactly your word, nothing more, nothing less, neither adding to nor taking away from it. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Thessalonians 1.4 again says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Now here in the beginning of this verse, he starts by saying that God allowed them, these men, Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus, speaking to the church born in trouble, the Thessalonican church of believers, the church of persecuted saints, who'd only had three weeks with Paul and yet were in, in samples to all 
saw them in Achaia and in Macedonia, and their faith was spoken of throughout all parts. These men speaking to this Thessalonican church say, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. The gospel is a trust. Whenever someone is called by God to preach the word of God, they are put in trust of the gospel. As a steward is put in trust with a pantry or as a ranch hand is put in trust with the rancher's cattle. So the preacher of the gospel is put in trust with the gospel. There's a misunderstanding in, in religion, in man's religion, that someone who is religious, that someone who is a preacher, or as a lot of people used to call the old Bible students and theologians, they would call them the old divines, as if they had something godlike in their own being just because of their piety, and that somehow spending hours poring over old volumes of commentaries and studying the scriptures for their whole life, and some of them did and were very useful, by the way, and did much for God, but as if somehow their life of of being cloistered away with books and with the Bible made them somehow more like God, when nothing could be further from the truth. Usually, um, spending your life cloistered away with books will just make you more unholy, more wicked, more perverted. <coughs> as we have seen proven to us um, by the Roman Catholic Church throughout the ages and by the Orthodox churches and by many other churches that lay a lot of stock in scholastic discipline, but no stock in practical religion of following Jesus Christ. The book of James says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world to keep himself unspotted from the world. And this is part of the trust of the gospel. The trust of the gospel involves carrying the gospel, plus nothing, minus nothing. It involves preaching the gospel. It involves being faithful to the gospel. A ranch hand on a ranch is put in trust with the rancher's cattle. And so let's say the rancher says, I have a hundred black Angus um bulls, bull calves down there in the valley, I'm getting ready to sell. I want you to go down and bring them up. And he goes down and he brings up 98 black Angus bull cows, bull cows, boy, what an oxymoron. In any case, (laughs) he brings up uh, 98 black Angus bulls, bull calves. Will the rancher be happy with him? He asked him to bring up a hundred. Where are the other two? And he could say to that rancher, I brought up 98, 98 bull calves. And all you're worried about are the two I didn't bring up. When I did school and I got a 98 in math, my teacher gave me a big sticker and my mommy clapped for me and gave me an, and my daddy bought me an ice cream cone. And now you're fussing over two of these bull calves, and I brought you 98 of the bull calves. You think that would go over? Do you think he would keep his job? Do you think that rancher would be pleased with him and want him to keep working? Absolutely not. And he goes down in the valley, and he brings up 300 cattle to the corral to load. And it's a mixture of 100 bull calves, just like he'd been asked, and 100 heifers, 
and a hundred pregnant mama cows. And he's got them all mixed together in the corral. And the rancher said, I want 100 bull cows in the corral by morning so we can load and get to the sale. Do you think the rancher is going to be happy with the ranch hand when he shows up and finds 300? But rancher, Mr. Sir, you said get 100. I brought you 300. Shouldn't you be happy with me because I've added so much to your word? I've added so much to what you've told me to do. Aren't you, aren't you so pleased with me, Mr. Rancher, sir? How many of you think he'd be happy? Not you. How many of you think they'd make the sale? Get there on time? Not a chance. The day's ruined. The day's shot. He added to it. He says here, even as, even, but as we were allowed of God to be put in the God, trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Let's look at that trust to the gospel real quick. And then we'll get more into that adding and subtracting in just a little while. Go to Matthew 28 and verse 18. Matthew 28 and verse 18. This is the um, commissioning of the church with the gospel. And it is absolutely important that you understand that as an individual, yes, you are commissioned with the gospel, but you are not given the great commission as an individual. And it's important to get that because if you feel the burden of the entire great commission resting on your shoulders, then you will begin to get out of balance and try and accomplish it yourself. And God wants to accomplish the Great Commission through His church. It takes more than one of us. It takes the unified body of Jesus Christ to operate in obedience to this command of Christ. It was given in the plural. Let's look at it. Matthew 28. Um, In your authorized version Bible, it has thee and thou for singular when Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, thou art Peter. He's speaking in the singular. But then he says to him, um, Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift thee or to have you that he may sift you as wheat. What he's saying there is plural. That is a plural use. The you is plural. And that gives us understanding of who Jesus is talking about. If you take out the you and the ye, and the thee and the thou, then you end up losing information and you end up with an incomplete translation. There's a reason that they put that in the Bible. And if I got that mixed up in exactly the how that works out, just look it up and find it and study it out for yourself and you'll see it. But the thee and the thou are singular and ye and you are plural. So you can tell when Jesus is talking to an individual or to a group by the use of thee and thou or ye and you. Now, the trust of the gospel was given here to you and to ye. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now that's singular. All power is not given to Peter in heaven and in earth. How many of you noticed that? Who did Jesus say all power was given to? He said me. So when Jesus said me, he's saying all power is given to Jesus Christ in heaven and in earth. And with that as the basis for this commission, he says, go ye therefore, which is plural, which means all of you. Now there's two parts to this. This means that number one, if he said go ye, and that's plural, that means that every one of you that calls yourself a Christian and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is responsible for the carrying out of the Great Commission. And you are put in trust with the gospel. 
but it also means that every one of you is responsible as a unified body and that God is not asking you as individuals to carry out the completion of the Great Commission, that this is a burden that he's placed on his church body. And this is important because it is impossible to fulfill the Great Commission as an individual. There have been some amazing individuals in the history of the church. D.L. Moody is one of the most astounding individuals in the history of the church who did more as an individual than any other man that I can think of off the top of my head as far as changing um, a vast region and, and affecting millions of people for Christ. But D.L. Moody did not do it by himself. D.L. Moody was surrounded by Christians. D.L. Moody was funded by Christians. How many of you know that D.L. Moody did not work a secular job to support his ministry for most of the most fruitful years of his ministry? During In his Chicago days, he worked and he ministered, and he was on track to be a millionaire, and that was his goal in life, and one day God told him to give it up and go full-time, and to go full-time in faith, and he did that, and he obeyed God, and he gave up his business, and he gave up his income, and God provided for him, and he never had much after that, but he always had enough, and he went forward preaching the gospel supported by the church and the work of the great commission will only be done when individuals obey God to go and other individuals obey God and back up those that go. D.L. Moody had people that prayed for him. Not only did people give to him, but even more importantly than giving to him and to his needs and to his work, they also prayed for him. There were two old ladies that met D.L. Moody in Chicago and they sat under his preaching and they came up to him and they said, Mr. Moody, we're praying that you get the power. And he's got all huffy with them and upset. And he says, what do you mean get the power? I've got pretty good power. I've got the biggest Sunday school class in the world. I've got more people coming to my Sunday school and more people getting saved than you've ever seen before. This is a pretty awesome work is what he was thinking, what's going through his mind. Now they wouldn't use the word awesome in that era in that way. That's kind of a new, um, a new degradation of the word actually but in any case they here D.L. Moody thought that that was pretty frustrating that they were praying that he get the power and that rankled him a little bit and every time they saw him they would say we're still praying for you brother Moody that you get the power and he's like well I don't know what kind of power you want me to get but I'm pretty sure I'm doing okay and after a month or so went by he started feeling a little less powerful And he started feeling a little less mighty. And he started feeling a little less confident and a little less sure that he was um, had everything that God would have him to have. And he started praying, God, if you have more power for me, I want it. God, if you want me to have more effect and more impact and be more powerful in my witness, then I want it. And then after another month or so, he met those ladies again and started praying with them and praying for God to send them in the power. And then one day in New York City, he was walking down the street and in his own words, you can look it up in his own words. I'm just going to give you the rough um, summary of it. He said that God poured out his love on him in such a way that he could not even hardly stand 
stand up upon his feet. And he looked up and he saw the doorway of one of his friends there. And he ran into the house and he asked him, can I have the use of one of your empty rooms? And they said, go ahead. And he ran in the room and shut the door and locked it and fell on his face before the Almighty God. And for hours, God poured out love and power on D.L. Moody. And it was shortly after that that he went on the ill-planned and surely destined to doom trip to England that should have ended in absolute failure because his meetings fell through when he got there. And next thing you know, there were hundreds of thousands of people flocking to hear D.L. Moody preach in places he hadn't even planned to go. And D.L. Moody's uh, whole ministry changed from powerful, in a sense, from effective, in a sense, to dynamic beyond anything that we had seen in decades in that nation, in this nation of America. And so D.L. Moody's ministry was not only funded by the church, but it was also fueled by the prayers of the church. And the power that was on D.L. Moody was given by God in answer to the prayers of two little widows. Do you hear me today? D.L. Moody is a name that you remember. Nobody remembers the names of the two little widows that prayed the power of God down on D.L. Moody. They said, here is an instrument that God wants to use. Here is a man that God can take and do mighty things with. But he's got to have power from on high. And they fasted and they prayed and they sought God to endue this man with power from on high. And God did it. And the gospel went forward and other people got behind D.L. Moody and prayed for him and fasted and sought God's face for the power to maintain the ministry and God did it and the ministry went forward and all of that effectiveness that you see most people attribute to the man at the point D.L. Moody but behind D.L. Moody was a mountain of faith and prayer and sacrificial giving that carried forward the work. God has given the great commission to the church, not to a man. God gave the great commission to the church, not to Peter. He gave the great commission to the church, not the pastor. He gave the, gave the great commission to the church, not the evangelist. Every one of us that names the name of Christ has a part in the Great Commission. But each one, after our ability and after our calling, some are called to preach, some are called to pray, some are called to give, some are called to all of the above. Some are called to business so that they can make uh, make a living for themselves and have money to give to the work of the ministry. Others still yet are called to service where they show up and they volunteer in the little obscure details that nobody really sees or thinks about but without which the ministry could not function and go forward do you hear me today we all have our place we all have our purpose we all have our calling there is a there is a miss a misguided burden that is placed upon the church in many evangelical circles that tries to teach every Christian that every Christian is supposed to be a D.L. Moody. Do you hear me today? And you, you might shake your head and say, that's not true. And I just, I just tell you whatever. Um, we'll have to part ways agreeing to disagree if you can't figure this one out yourself. But if you haven't seen it, go around for, and experience evangelical Christianity for a little while and 
hear what's usually preached. What's usually preached is every one of us is called to be a witness. Every one of us needs to tell everybody that we can tell about Jesus. Now, there's some degree of truth in that, but the problem is that the burden then is placed on everyone to act in the manner that D.L. Moody acted. And D.L. Moody could not be D.L. Moody without a couple little widows who were spending more time praying than preaching. Do you hear me today? And who didn't have the ability or the calling or the gifts to get up and preach the gospel like D.L. Moody. We've got different jobs, but we've all been put in trust with the gospel. And it's a privilege, he says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, as we were allowed of God. And the question for you today is, what is my place with the, in the trust of the gospel? What is my job? Now, this doesn't mean that if you give to the work that you are entitled to never tell anybody about Jesus again. But what I am trying to do is remove a yoke of human bondage from your back and tell you that you are not required by God to be a D.L. Moody. He wants you to be you. He made you just the way he made you. And he made you special. He made you with certain gifts, certain abilities, certain talents, certain propensities, certain desires, and he loves you and he made you just the way he made you with a purpose in mind. And his purpose in mind was for his own glory to put you in trust with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe he wants you to be a preacher. Maybe he wants you to just be his witness in the workplace. Maybe he wants you to be a prayer warrior. Maybe he wants you to be a teacher and teach Sunday school. Maybe he wants you to get a bunch of gospel tracts and hand them out. Maybe he wants you to put CDs of preaching in truck stops. Maybe he wants you to work on an online ministry or something like that. Maybe God has something different for you. Stop looking around at everybody else and ask God, what is my part? Where do I fit in? And then get in your spot and work. For Christ's sake, the gospel's sake, and the glory of God. Maybe your part, some of you may be having the part of the broom handler. That's not a bad spot. Jesus said, they that would be greatest among you, let them become servants of all. Maybe God wants you to be the broom handler and just sweep the floor at the church like a madman, up and down, up and down, over and over and over again. Maybe you're the toilet scrubber. Maybe that's God's job for your life. Are you willing? Are you willing to just be the, you say, no, no, I want to be the D.L. Moody. And unless I'm the D.L. Moody, I'm not going to do anything for God. Well, you ain't going to do anything for God then because you sure ain't D.L. Moody. And you never will be you never will be so start with what God gives you and recognize the value in even the little bitty acts of service that God gives you You say oh it doesn't amount to much I'm not really doing anything that counts I'm not one of the big shots I'm not one of the guys that's up there um, doing the big work I'm just a little sideline show I don't really amount to anything maybe all I do is carry boxes maybe all I do is go to work and while I'm working I try not to be defiled and I listen to scripture and preaching on my iPod and I pray for people. And then whenever I get my paycheck, I pay all my bills. And if I have a couple dollars left over after I pay my bills, I try and help out a missionary somewhere. You are valuable. 
You've got to part. You've got to trust. God is allowing you to be put in trust with the gospel. And your place may not be a place that's in the limelight, but it's an important place. It's a valuable place. It's a privileged place. Do you hear me today? God has given you a privileged place. Even preachers' sons and preachers' daughters. You say, well, I didn't sign up for this. No, but God signed you up for it. And he gave you a place. And he gave you a privilege. And he allowed you to be put in trust with the gospel. Just being a good preacher's kid can be a big deal. A preacher whose kid gets up and starts dancing in the pews while he's trying to preach and singing. Um, Old MacDonald had a farm disrupts the whole service, distracts everyone, and renders the man's ministry half impotent. Did you know that just sitting in your pew with your hands folded and paying attention and not looking around and not distracting anybody can be a ministry? Did you know that? That can be a ministry in and of itself. And we have been put in trust with the gospel. Not me and not you. We have been put in trust with the gospel. And it's a privilege that we have been allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Now Matthew 28 again verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them saying all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So um, go to Mark. Go to Mark 16. As you're going there, here in Matthew, he gives all power. He emphasizes teaching, baptizing, and teaching the commands of Jesus Christ. Now, you go to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Not right now. I'll keep going to Mark 16. But if you go to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And he goes on. He says, um, Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that despitefully use you. Matthew chapter 6. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men, etc., etc. All these things he says to teach. Now as you're turning to Matthew 16, what God is doing here in the Great Commission and what he did the first time that Christ's Great Commission is recorded in Scripture, he puts a box around it. He limits it. First of all, he says, Go ye therefore, and he gives it to the church as a unified body. And then he puts a box around it, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That means plus nothing, minus nothing. All things whatsoever I have commanded you. God put a limit on the gospel. The preacher is not unlimited. The preacher is very limited. The preacher's commission is limited to the word of God. If the preacher goes above and beyond the word of God and begins to add to the word of God, he has, sir, he has gone outside his commission and is no longer operating under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he pulls up short of teaching the whole counsel of God and he leaves little hidden areas and dark areas, areas of the gospel that he won't touch for fear of offending his denominational headquarters, then he is outside and out from under his commission. He is no longer fulfilling his commission and he's not keeping the trust of the gospel. There are limits to the gospel and the preacher must operate within the biblical confines 
lines of the gospel. No no additions and no subtractions. No hidden areas, no added areas. You do not have the right to add to the gospel or to take away from the gospel. Jesus said, all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, a different emphasis, but the same commission. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world. And there's the plurality of the unified body of individuals. Again, the church, go ye into all the world. I'm so glad it doesn't say go thee. It says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God has not designed man to dwell alone. We are not designed to do this on our own. Listen to me today. Lone Ranger ministries are either fakes or failures every time. God works through his church. He works through his people. And where there is a ministry that is comprised of one man, a solo act, and there's no godly people behind him praying for him and providing for the ministry and helping the ministry to go forward, it doesn't matter if he's a multi-millionaire that can fund his own work. And it doesn't matter how godly he seems like he is. He's either a failure or a fake. God designed us to work through his church. He designed the work of the gospel to go through the church do you hear me today that doesn't mean that he has to have the rubber stamp of the denomination so don't you go to extremes and start misapplying this today because the church might not be what you call the church the church might be a couple little widows who are gathered together under an old um, rickety pastor that can barely stand up behind his walker to preach and a little boy that they pray over and send out to preach the gospel and that might be God working through his church right there. So you better be careful before you go and add to God's word on that whole matter. But God always works through his church. He says, go ye into all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. So the teaching command is given in Matthew with all power. The preaching command is given in Mark. And it says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And that's what it says. Plus nothing, minus nothing. Listen, don't try and explain away that verse. Compare it with other other Bible verses and get the right interpretation of it. We're not even going to study it out right now. But if you want to take this verse all by itself and make this try and preach your baptismal regeneration garbage, you have to throw out a bunch of other verses, hundreds of other texts in order to do that. And we're not even going to study that out right now. But what it says, it means. God says what he means and he means what he says. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. The damnation hinges on the belief, not the baptism in the immediate context. We've got to keep moving. 17, and it means this too. The Bible says this, and it means it. And these signs shall follow them that believe, and my name shall they cast out devils. God's not joking. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So here Mark emphasizes the preaching of the word of God. He emphasizes baptism and he emphasizes signs that accompany the gospel. Specifically, casting out devils, speaking with new tongues, taking up 
up serpents, drinking deadly things, not being hurt or um, bit by the serpents. Take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. So not hurt by the serpents. It doesn't say not bit. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So Mark emphasizes some different aspects of the gospel, but these are all just as true as the other aspects. And if you take away these aspects, you take away from the gospel. Add not to his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar, and take not from what he says. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now it's absolutely necessary to note that he says these signs shall follow them that believe the signs follow the group of people that believe that does not mean that every individual that you ever come in contact with will exhibit every one of these signs if they are true don't let anybody take this and rest it and wiggle it out of its context all of these things are worthy and needed and needful to study out we don't have time to study that out much today I do want to just touch it real quickly and we'll move on. The casting out of devils isn't a bunch of fancy showy stuff and it doesn't have to come with a bunch of lights and a bunch of mirrors and a bunch of um, high dollar, high power music and all this kind of stuff. The casting out of devils is very simple and it's very biblical and it is still in effect today. Speaking with new tongues happens every time a missionary goes to a foreign field with the gospel of Jesus Christ and preaches with the anointing of Almighty God in a new tongue that they knew not before. Now you can say that's not all it means. Well, you can help yourself, but that is what it means and that's where it, what it says. It says in verse 18, they shall take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Now we saw that in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul took up a serpent, but he didn't reach into a fish tank full of coiled up venomous snakes. He was gathering a bunch of sticks to throw wood on the fire for a bunch of cold, wet people being a servant of all. And the snake came out of the fire and bit his hand, the Bible says, but he shook it off in the fire and felt no harm. And there you see a fulfillment of that text right there. And there have been many other such fulfillments sometimes that people don't even know about. How many times have Christians been poisoned and yet felt no harm because, and didn't even know they got poisoned? We don't know that, but we do know that the signs shall follow them that believe. It says they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We have some specific teaching on that in the book of James. Let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over them, anointing with oil and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It talks about them confessing their sins. Um, Let's go on to Luke and let's continue looking at this um, trust of the gospel. We're looking at the trust that God has given us with the gospel. Luke 24. Excuse me. Luke twenty four forty six. And he's and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. This follows the verse that says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So then he says, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Semi or colon. 
That is a punctuation mark that means the sentence isn't done. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So here Luke emphasizes the preaching of repentance and remission of sins. If you're out there and you say repentance is works-based salvation, you are probably on your way to hell. Unless you are absolutely deceived and thinking that repentance is something that it's not. The Bible says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached repentance and remission of sins and in acts chapter 18 for all you hyper dispensationalists out there paul said that the times of this ignorance god winked at but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent repentance is bible maybe your definition of repentance isn't bible but if you're preaching against repentance you have broken the trust of the gospel and you are out of bounds sir repentance and remission of sins he said should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at jerusalem and ye are witnesses of these things so luke emphasizes repentance remission of sins being preached among all nations being witnesses and he gives us for it the the foundation for this is the opening of their understanding that they might understand the scriptures which at that time consisted entirely of the old testament and said unto them thus it is written which brings in the old testament scriptures and And thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to arise from the dead the third day. So here Jesus Christ commissions the church to take the Old Testament and go and preach repentance and remission of sins in the church age. Do you hear me today? This is his commission to the church in the church age to take the whole counsel of God, the scriptures that starts in Genesis 1-1 and the scriptures that were referenced at the time contextually end in the end of the book of Malachi. But Jesus Christ would ratify and validate the canonization of the four gospels, of the epistles of the apostles, and of the revelation of John to complete the 66 books of the Bible And he would do it through his holy apostles, of which there are 12. Go read Revelation. He says the 12 apostles of the Lamb. There are not 13. There are not 14. There are 12 apostles of the Lamb, through which God has given us the 66 books of the Bible, either directly or indirectly through their ministries. Obviously, Mark was not one of the apostles, but um, his work was ratified and verified through apostolic work and and is born witness to and therefore it was canonized how did we get the books in the bible that we got in the bible not only did holy men of god speak as they were moved by the holy ghost to write the books and not only did god through the power of the holy ghost preserve his word as he promised until heaven and earth pass not one jot or one tittle shall in any wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled but not only that god almighty gave to the church some apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of christ till we all come and he goes on to the coming of jesus christ is what he's talking about what we all come to and these officers of the church the apostle prophet evangelist pastor teacher beginning 
beginning with the 12 apostles of the Lamb at the helm are how we got the 66 books of the Bible. And they carefully compared the writings of different authors and by by direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God included 66 books in this Bible, not 67, not 65, 66 books in this Bible. Down to the word, down to the number of um, punctuation marks in any given language, God had it all lined out and God had it handled and God has given it to us today. The unadulterated, perfectly preserved word of God right here in English in our authorized version Bible. So in Luke, he emphasizes repentance, remission of sins being preached among all nations. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. The book of John does not include um, the Great Commission as it is stated after Christ's death and burial and resurrection before his ascension. But it does have much to say about Jesus, how Jesus taught his disciples to preach. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for exhortation in righteousness. Now, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 includes more information from Luke about the Great Commission. He says, um, Jesus said... And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his power, verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. These final words of Jesus Christ were the great commission, the final words that he spake um, on this earth in his glorified, resurrected body. It was his resurrected body. He held back some of the glory, or his disciples wouldn't have even been able to behold him in their natural bodies. But in any case, he spoke this commission, and he put the church in trust of the gospel. And here he emphasizes in the book of Acts power to be his witnesses. He emphasizes the Holy Ghost coming upon them. And this ties in with what we've been reading in First Thessalonians, that our gospel came not unto you, Oh, I'm going to have to turn there to look at it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Now, anything less than this, (coughs) excuse me, Anything less than this is a failure to keep the trust of the gospel. The gospel must be preached in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance or you are out of bounds and breaking your trust of the gospel. The gospel is not in word only, though the gospel must be held to the very literal words of Jesus Christ. You see, there's two ways that we can fall off the ditch here on the either side of the road. Number one, we can say, well, I've got the Holy Ghost, so therefore I don't really need the written word of God because I have the living word of God. And you, sir, have gone into a ditch and you are on your way to blatant heresy 
You've already swallowed some blatant heresy and you're going to start preaching heresy and your descendants and your followers are going to descend into the lake of fire because you have left the confines of the literal written word of God. But on the other side of the road, there's a ditch of dead letter killing lethargy. It's an ice encrusted ditch full of snow with cold icy water and icicles all over it and a bunch of soup wearing preachers standing there in the cold frozen all the way up to their noses and just their little eyes are wiggling you can barely even see their mouth wiggle and they're preaching the word of God the unadulterated perfectly preserved King James Bible in English they're preaching this to their, from their pulpits with no power with no ministration of the Holy Ghost and with no assurance and it's dead letter killing doctrine And they have the very word of God, but they have none of the power that God promised in all four mentions of the commission. And therefore, you, sir, if that is your condition, are outside the bounds of the commission. You have broken your trust with the gospel, and you are in a position of error. And your followers are going to descend into cold, dead, legalistic lethargy. And they're not going to be converted. Many of them will bust hell wide open from a popsicle in a pew to a burnt roasted marshmallow on the spit of hell overnight. They'll go straight from your icicle hanging cathedrals straight into the bowels of the lake of fire into hell itself. And they'll go there with the frosty icicles of your breath clinging to them. If you preach the word of God without the power of God and the Holy Spirit of God and the much assurance of the Holy Ghost that God said that the gospel must be preached with. And you say, what is the answer to that? If you're preaching outside the bounds of scripture, it's pretty easy. Get back in the Bible. And by the way, if you think you've got the Holy Ghost and you're preaching something extra or diminishing from the word of God, it's very likely that you've got another spirit. But you think you're the Holy Ghost or that you have the Holy Ghost and you're on fire. And wouldn't that be an appropriate thing to say? If you think that you can speak the oracles of God and not as the very oracles of God, you think that when you speak, you're uttering divine revelation, divine prophetic utterances that are equal in value to the canon of Scripture inspired by Almighty God, spoken by the lips of the Holy Ghost into the hearts of holy men of old. And you think that's you. You probably do think you're the Holy Ghost. And you're in a bad heresy if that's you. The answer is repent and get back to the Bible. And if you're preaching the Bible but it's cold and it's dead and you've got icicles forming on your mustache with every breath that you breathe and every word that you say, then repent and shut your mouth and stop preaching and go get alone with God and push the plate away and push the drink away and push everything away and get the Bible out and seek God's face until holy fire comes down. Help us, Lord, today. So he says, even as we have been put in trust with the gospel, but even, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, which we just studied, even so we speak. Go to Deuteronomy 4. We've got to hurry. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. The apostle said, Even so we speak. 
the apostle of God who spoke as a holy man of God, as moved by the Holy Ghost, whose words coming from his mouth that were written on this page that were sent to the Thessalonican church are now preserved for us as the very word of God. That man said, as we were put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. He said, we speak just exactly what God said to speak. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it, which is what God commanded. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. Deuteronomy 12, just a few pages over. Deuteronomy 12 and verse 32. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 14. Listen to me. If you think that the Bible, that you can question the veracity of the Bible, you are calling God a liar. Look at Ecclesiastes 3 verse 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been and God requireth that which is past God is outside the bounds of human time and the preservation of the word of God is not dependent upon man it's dependent upon almighty God who said that which hath been let's just read it again that which hath been is now did you hear that that which hath been is now and what's the context I know that whatsoever God doeth it shall be forever You say, no, that which hath been is gone. God says, that which hath been is now. That which God hath done, he doeth forever. It shall be done. It shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, not man. God doeth it that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, he says. And that which is to be hath already been. God's already been there and back. He's already been to the end of time. He is at the beginning of time. That which hath been is now. The past is present to God. The future has already been passed to God. And God requireth that which is past. God's big. That's what that's saying. And God's not bound by time. And the preservation of God's word is God's responsibility. And God Almighty, who spoke the word to Abraham thousands of years ago, spoke the word today because that which hath been is now. Do you hear me? Do you hear me today? That which hath been is now. You've got it right in your hand. That which God doeth is forever it shall be forever nothing can be put to it nor anything taken from it and god doeth it that men should fear before him that which hath been is now and that i want to just want to stop and preach a whole new sermon right there that which hath been is now and that which is to be hath already been and god requireth that which is past you know what all these people that say god didn't preserve his word isn't it amazing that men could screw up the book of God that the creator of the universe made and then it still be accurate even though men supposedly screwed it up and that the future events that God predicted in the word of God would happen are happening even though men screwed up the Bible? 
How can you even be this dumb? How can you be that dumb? How can you think that the word of God is corrupted and yet nothing in the word of God has ever failed? And there's not one mistake and every prophecy has come to pass. No human engineering can accomplish such a feat. And you want to think like an evolutionist that a, oh, God have mercy, that a perfect book that God wrote could over time be mutated and perverted and dissected and taken from and added to by man and yet it would and somehow still be perfect? Oh, you don't believe it's perfect at all. That's the problem. But it is perfect whether you believe it is or not. And you see, if you'd get in the Bible and read it and believe it and look at what God himself has said, you would see that the word of God is perfect. And as soon as you can comprehend that and get your little bitty human mind and reasoning to comprehend that the book in your hands, the authorized version Bible is the infinite, infallible, inspired word of God. As soon as you see that, the question of preservation evaporates. It's a no-brainer. Who cares whether man has tried to tamper with this book or not because it's perfect today. You can tell me whatever you want about the Bible, and I will not turn from this word of God because I know it's perfect. I know it's pure. I know it because I've read it and I've seen it. Now, Revelation 22, we got to keep moving. You say, what has that got to do with being put in trust with the gospel? Well, since you had to ask that question, you couldn't figure it out for yourself. I'll just tell you, all these perversions of the Bible are breaking trust with the gospel. All right, copy. All these perversions of the Bible that add to and subtract from the gospel of Jesus Christ are perversions of the gospel and have broken trust with the gospel and have broken the great commission of Jesus Christ. Even as they use their Bible societies to disseminate these perverted, corrupted texts in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of fulfilling the great commission, you're out of order. Got to get back to the Bible. Revelation 22 and verse 18 for I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this, this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things. The man that said with in a sense, his hand on the Bible in the court of Almighty God in the most holy place in heaven, he which testifieth, giveth legal testimony under threat of punishment of law for, for um, any kind of lies that he might tell, for perjury. He which testifieth of these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ said it. And anyone that contradicts what Christ said calls Christ a liar. In Titus, it says that real preachers have got to hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. You have no right to customize the gospel. God said what he said. God meant what he said. God preserved what he said. And God will do what he said, whether you think he's right or not. Whether it lines up with your denomination or not. Whether it fits with your church and your history or not. The Apostle Paul says, but even as we have been put in trust, even 
as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Just exactly what God gave us. That's what we preach. That's what we speak. If anybody ever could have claimed to be adding to or taking from it, Paul could have. Because he was given the authority by God to give us the epistles that are part of the very word of God. The epistle that we're studying now. And yet he said that even so we speak. As we've been put in trust, even so we speak. Um, the next part, not as pleasing men. We've got to wrap this up. Not as pleasing men. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Proverbs twenty nine twenty six. the very next verse says, Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. So Paul says here, Not as pleasing men, but God, the last part, which trieth the hearts. Do you see that in these two verses? The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth in his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Many should... Many seek the ruler's favor. Many people will say whatever they want to say or can say to try and get the ruler to be pleased with them, to try and get men to be happy with them. The apostle Paul says, not as pleasing men, the fear of man, the ruler's favor, but God which trieth the heart. Whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. Go to 2 Timothy 4.1 quickly. We're going to wrap this thing up. Every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. If you remember that, you will um, be free. If you will truly remember that, apply that to your heart, you'll be free from the fear of man and fear of needing to alter the word of God to fit somebody else's perspective and try and win brownie points and political advancement. 2 Timothy 4, 1, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at the appearing, at his appearing and his kingdom. He's charging Timothy based on the coming judgment and this whole concept of being put in trust with the gospel and speaking only what the gospel says not as pleasing men hinges on the fear of God which trieth the heart which trieth the hearts Paul says to Timothy I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom preach the word there's that commission be instant in season out of season reprove rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they shall will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables but watch thou in all things endure afflictions do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry Listen here, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul measured his success by his adherence to the faith. I have kept the faith, and faith means trusting the veracity of the one speaking, which means taking God at his word, adding not to it, subtracting not from it. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He held the line. He added not to. He subtracted not from. Verse 8, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Hallelujah. Paul had his eyes on the judgment. And because he had his eyes on the judgment, he could say, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth the 
the hearts. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. <coughs> Not as pleasing men, but God which, which trieth the hearts. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, which means to preach the word, taking the oversight thereof not by constraint, but willingly not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Peter also looking to the return of Jesus Christ. The chief shepherd appearing. We started this thing with an illustration about a ranch hand and a rancher. We just got a couple little things here. We'll be done very quickly. A ranch hand and a rancher. And that ranch hand went down to bring up 100 black Angus bull calves. And he came up with 98. Is the chief rancher, the chief shepherd, going to be happy with that ranch hand? What if he brings up 99 and a half black Angus bull calves? Is the chief rancher going to be happy? Or is that ranch hand going to be ashamed? He's going to be ashamed. And if he shows up on the morning of the sale to load his cattle, and there are 300 cattle in the pen, 100 black Angus bull calves, 100 black Angus heifers, and 100 black Angus mama cows pregnant with their young, all mixed up in that corral whenever he said, go and get me 100 black Angus bull calves. Is he going to be happy that that man added 200? No, he's not. Here Peter likens it to a shepherd, which isn't much different from a ranch rancher. And he called Jesus Christ the chief shepherd. And he called the preacher under shepherds, elders, working under the chief shepherd as in samples to the flock. And if you're a preacher today, whatever your part is in the gospel, whatever your part is, add thou not to his words, lest thou be reproved and thou be found a liar.